0: Yo, yo! What up everyone? This is your life coach, Jacob Sokol, and welcome to WTF Should I Do With My Life? You're about to access a roadmap specifically designed for people in our generation like you and me who are looking to figure out how to create a life filled with happiness, success, and a deep sense of purpose while simultaneously dealing with the challenges of today. If you're like me, you're really curious about what's going on with our generation. How is it different from our parents and how can we use this information to create authentically awesome lives? Well, Christine Hassler is an expert on exactly that. She left her red carpet life as a Hollywood agent at 25 years old in pursuit of sustainable happiness and an authentically passionate life. Her search led her to author multiple books on the quarter life crisis. Now, in this interview, you'll learn what an expectation hangover is and how you can deal with it. You'll also learn how to make the tough decisions about which path to pick in life, and you'll learn some of the biggest universal challenges that our generation is facing, and how we can rock those.
1: Christine, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Jacob. This is going to be a great talk.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm thrilled as you know as well to chat with you and explore some of your wisdom and I think such a cool way to start would be to just introduce, um, make sure everybody who's listening to this chat has a uh, kind of understanding of more about you and kind of what your journey was like um, through young adulthood and um, kind of to where you are now. So I think a really cool place to start would just be asking you, you know, what were some of the challenges that you faced as a young adult and how did those lead you to be where you are now?
2: well, i'll answer that, but I just had this thought that came up that I want to share, um, sure. which is I wish that I could like take what I'm about to say and play it to my twenty five year old self <laughs> <laughs> when I was so lost and so confused and didn't have a clue, and like the formula I planned for wasn't working and was having you know what I called my quarter life crisis so you know if there's anyone out there right now listening who's like I don't know what I want to do with my life and I don't know who I am and this is so hard and it's not turned out like I planned please have faith and be comforted that you're not alone because most mm-hmm. of us in our 20s especially have been there um so my my 20s were uh what I call a major expectation hangover This is a term that I trademarked after I had many of them on my own and just coached so many people through them. And and basically, the definition of an expectation hangover is things didn't turn out quite like you you planned. And for me, growing up, I was teased a lot as a kid, a lot. And I was a late bloomer and glasses and acne and was smart, so everybody um, cheated off of me. The, the only time they were nice to me is when they cheated off of me. Um, and the only time boys gave me attention is like in science class. And I just was a very insecure, <laughs> self-conscious young girl. And um, you know, most of us, when we have something that happens to us that's hurtful, we develop defense mechanisms and coping strategies. And so what I did to compensate for all the teasing. And feeling really lonely is I just became addicted to achieving. I was like, well, if I'm not going to have any friends and if I'm not going to be liked, then I'm just going to make myself, you know, put myself at the top of the class and, and really just become addicted to achieving and success. And it really kind of, I kind of adopted this. I got to prove something to the world mentality um, and, and make up for all the insecurity that I was really dealing with on the inside. So from a very young age, I put a lot of pressure on myself, a lot of pressure on myself. And grades were very important to me. Where I went to college was very important to me. Double majoring and minoring and graduating in three years, having a 4.0, interning, working. Like I did everything, quote, unquote, right. And I was was burnt out by the time I was 21. You know, I didn't take, you know, I didn't study abroad. Um, I didn't have a lot of fun. I I don't even think I knew how to have fun, honestly. Hmm. I was just so Hmm. living for the future. Um, I was so in a when-then mentality, you know, like, well, when I get out of this high school and go to college, then I can reinvent myself. Or when I, you know, graduate from college and and have a job, then then I'll be happier. When I date this person, then I'll feel more confident or whatever it is. Um, I wasn't wasn't at peace with the here and now. I didn't know how to be at peace with the here and now. And so that led to a lot of stress and it led to um, a lot of anxiety, which um, anxiety can actually only exist when we're, in the future when we're not in the present moment so Hmm. this sort of addiction to success led me to hollywood i graduated from i went to northwestern and i graduated and i went i drove right out to hollywood and um i thought if i could prove it in hollywood if i could make it there then i'd finally have redemption and i didn't want to be an actress or anything like that um so I started off at an agency and worked my way up and became the youngest ever female agent. I was a TV literary agent at a big firm. I represented TV writers, producers, and directors. And by wow. the time I was almost 26, I had this incredible job. I was making close to $100,000 a year, which at 26, which was a while ago for me, Um bling, that was bling. a lot of money.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah, it was a lot of money. I was going to the Oscars and Golden Globes and Emmys. I was dating the head of a movie studio. I had, you know, the perfect outfits. The, the girls on the call will appreciate that. Um, like I had like everything, <laughs> everything that I wanted, you know. And I still was miserable. And I was like, what is gonna like fill this hole inside? And and I realized, and this was a really sobering thing to realize in terms of my career. I realized I didn't like the career path I had worked so hard to become successful at and i hit i had a sense of panic because i studied for this in college i worked my little butt off to get to the point that i was at i had finally made it with my fancy office and my assistant and i i was miserable i hated it and yeah. that was incredibly scary for me because i didn't have a plan b and i wasn't much of a risk taker and i didn't really know what to do but it got hmm. to the point where i was just so miserable i'd go to i'd have you know, panic attacks. I'd go to work with knots in my stomach. I was getting migraines. And I just realized that, the you know, external success wasn't the answer. Um, and then one day, I, I, I just couldn't take it anymore, and I decided I was going to quit. And I kind of quit. Um, I had given it a lot of thought, but the day I actually went in and did it, I sort of just had to do it. It was like ripping the band-aid off fast. I just had to, like, go into my boss and be like, I can't do this anymore. And when I left, I, I felt some relief at first, but then – I actually kind of went into more of a depression because without my career, which was my identity for so long, you know, I'd always identified myself and found myself sense of worth through what I did. Without well, that, I really felt like a loser. I felt like a nobody and mm-hmm. I had 11 different jobs in two years. I was a personal trainer. I worked for Yahoo, wow. I worked for a real estate company, I worked in marketing, I was a hand model because in L.A. you can have crazy jobs like hand modeling. <laughs> um, you know?
1: It's like an episode of Seinfeld.
2: <laughs> I know. My my experience wasn't quite as funny. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I was it was just random and I was just looking for something to make me feel fulfilled. And then while all that was going on, I was going into tons of debt because I was trying to keep up with my old lifestyle, and I didn't really educate myself about money. Um, I was getting incredibly sick. I got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. I I had a a big falling out with my family. I was actually temporarily disowned because I moved in with a guy I wasn't um, married to. Mm. And then I got engaged to that guy, and six months before the wedding, he very unexpectedly broke up with me in in Mm. actually a premarital counseling session. And uh, I never saw him again after he ended it that day. So wow. at the ripe age of 27, I had lost my career, my money, my health, my family, and what I thought was the love of my life. So that's what my 20-something experience
1: like. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to
2: say, I did not have much of a roadmap.
1: Yeah, Gee. so... Oh, man, so much goodness in there that we could go into. And the part that jumps out at me is, you know, you made it to Hollywood. You made you made it to where, like, the dream is, you know, the dream that we're told, you know, Hollywood, the money, the fame, the beauty, the Golden Globes, this kind of, like, really glamorous lifestyle. Um, you worked your ass off. You were super successful, and, and you got there. And I think, like, to my, I think just uh, as a whole, we, we glamorize and we idealize these peeps, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian, all the people who are, like, thro- you know, thrown um, in our face as, like, if we could be like them, if we could have the money, all these things. But you are, like, absolutely miserable um, in this position that I think a lot of people would strive to get to. Um, how do you think that you got to that place, like where did you get the the expectation or where did you get the internal compass that that was the place that you should be going and then how did you figure out, okay, that's not the place for me after you got there?
2: Well, I think I got it like a lot of us get it. I think that, you know, growing up and as a society, you know, we're told um, that there's a formula. You go to high school and then you go to college and then you get a job and you work your way up and that's sort of the route. And that success is really measured in, you know, how prestigious your job is, how much money you're making, so on and so forth, and and find something you love. You know, a lot of people say find your passion and the money will follow. Um, And I really thought the entertainment industry was my passion. But what I was really passionate about was, and I didn't know this, was about, you know, feeling good about myself again and feeling accepted and feeling liked, you know, because that's where my kind of hurt was. And so the entertainment industry is sort of like the adult version of the popular crowd. I mean, it really is. Everybody mm. wants to be in Hollywood. It's sort of like the quarterback and cheerleaders, you know. And so um, I really kind of thought that that would be the thing that would make me feel better about myself, that that level of success. So I think that I, I picked up that sort of navigation system from a variety of places. I think it was from the school system. Um, I think it was from my parents. My parents gave me so much freedom and, and never put pressure on me, but they always reinforced and validated my achievement. And I know that they would love me no matter what. However, I think some part of me felt obligated to them to really be successful because my parents gave me a great life. I was very fortunate that they they paid for my education. And so I felt a sense of, of you know, ever since, like, I graduated from college, like, I haven't taken a penny. And I felt this sense of obligation that I needed to support myself and be really successful and sort of make them proud. Um, so I think it was a bunch of those things, and I think a lot of people listening on the call can probably relate to, you know, the the expectation of, you know, we've got to prove something to our parents. Um, if we follow a certain formula, go to college, whatever, then get a job, then that that's what's going to lead to success. And unfortunately, what's missing from uh, our school system and, and what we experienced growing up is really an emphasis on like personal growth and getting to know ourselves, Hmm. like really understanding what drives us. And that's why I love that you're doing this call and providing this service because I'm sure that that so many of the people that you're interviewing um, are going to be talking about, you know, life doesn't go according to plan and there is no formula. And I think the best thing we can do in our 20s is not buy a house, get married, get a job, like is not to check things off a list, but to really get to know who we are. Because there's Hmm. this, the 20-something experience, I think now, and I'm I'm kind of digressing. I'll go back to answer the other end of your question. Um, But the 20-something experience used to be, in like our parents' generation, the time where you set your career in stone and when you get married and when you buy a house and when you have your first kid. I mean, that's what it used to be like. It was really the beginning of adulthood. But to me, and what I'm a big advocate about, is I think the 20-something experience time is the time in your life where you get to be selfish and i don't mean selfish in a narcissistic self-centered way but i mean selfish in a self-honoring way it's the time when you get to really investigate yourself it's a time when you get to explore a lot of options it's a time when you can fail at things and there isn't as much risk because you don't have a mortgage and a wife or a husband or kids or aging parents or any of those things to support um so it really i think is a time where we can kind of um try out some different things and take some risks. And I wish I would have done that in my earlier 20s. And, and, and how I ended up kind of rerouting myself is, um, you know, since I was a, an overachiever and kind of a control freak and very much in my head, I think the universe needed to strip everything away that I clung to for comfort and security for me to wake up, you know, for me to really wake up and, and surrender and tap into something um, more than just my mind, more than just my resume, more than just my intelligence but really to tap into my own connection to a higher power, my own intuition, and to finally cut myself some slack and learn how to be nicer to myself. So the, the pinnacle moment for me, um, is it okay if I get a little deep here for a moment?
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: Okay, okay. So the, the pinnacle moment for me um, was a night on my bathroom floor where uh, it was the night that that my ex-fiance had, had dumped me and I just felt like I had nothing, just nothing, and I did not know what I was going to do. And I was laying on my bathroom floor, and for the first time in my life, I thought about how I could end it. I seriously considered mm-hmm. it. And I'd never had suicidal thoughts before, and, and those, those thoughts, it, it scared me. But they also felt mm-hmm. comforting because I didn't know what else to do. And in that moment, like just a few seconds after I had those thoughts and sort of started going down that path, I felt something kind of overcome me. It was like this overwhelming sense of love and peace. And I call it my spiritual awakening because that's what it felt like. It was like some part of me woke up to the fact that this was all happening for a reason. You know, we hear that cliche all the time, and people say that to us when something really awful happens and we want to punch them in the face because we're like, it might be happening for a reason, but I don't know the reason, and right now this sucks, <laughs> but, but, but I really got it. I really got it, and, um, and, and it didn't last long because my mind came in and tried to figure it out, but it was enough of a taste, and so I, I, I got on my knees, and I wasn't particularly spiritual at the time, but I, since I have been an agent, I knew how to negotiate so I made a deal with God, and I said, um, you know, if I figure my way out of this, I will dedicate my life to helping other people. And I didn't know how I was wow. going to do that at all. Um, but but I became and, – and this is really kind of one of the messages I want to emphasize. I became so clear on my life lessons, and I became so clear on my intention, and really how I wanted to share, and how I wanted to, like, drop the mask, and, and be more vulnerable, and really – commit to discovering who i really was that i stopped caring about the form like i stopped you know because what how i could have gotten in my own way was to go how am i going to do this like what am i going to do what's going to be the formula what's Mm going to be the system you know and go back into that old way of thinking rather than just really allowing myself to kind of like create it one step at a time and as soon as i got out of my own way enough the ideas just started coming like i felt very called to write a book And that book did very well. And while I was interviewing people from the book, people said, you should really coach people. You're really good at this. You have a knack. So then I started doing Mm. that. And then people I was coaching said, I wish I would have learned this in college. So I started speaking at colleges. And then people I was interacting Mm. with that owned companies or were professionals said, "I, I wish that my young employees knew this stuff. I wish I understood Gen Y. Will you come speak at my corporation? And then that led to another book, and then it led to teaching, and then it led to me getting a master's degree. Like, it just, it was like one thing after another. Um, And so I think that the temptation, especially for young people in 20-somethings and Gen Y, um, and even people in their early 30s, because I think we're still young in our early 30s, um, is that, like, we have to have it all figured out by a certain time or a certain age. And I just... And I just totally disagree. I think that the more we can kind of get out of the mindset of trying to figure it out in terms of like the form and, and think more about what are we here to contribute, um, what are our major life lessons, and what do we want to share, and allow ourselves to be led and be willing to make mistakes and be willing to be vulnerable and be willing to put ourselves out there. Um, that, to me, that's a way more fulfilling path.
1: Yeah, yeah, so much. And as you're describing, that one is you gave me chills multiple times during what you shared. So, um, you know, just sending me some love through this uh, through this phone call for that. And I'm there with you as you're as, – I know as the people who are listening are as well just like super engaged in the words that are coming out of your mouth you feel them in our heart. And I know so many of us can relate to that. And as you're speaking about kind of not necessarily knowing specifically how are the dots going to connect going forward – um, it 's something that I think is like the paradox of uncertainty, where on one hand uncertainty is completely terrifying, and on the other hand like that 's where opportunity that 's where possibility lies. And in a sense, we can't really look so far into the future. And if we tried to define where we would be in the future, we would just limit ourselves because our sense of reality hasn't like, leveled up. It, it hasn't evolved in a way that we could even imagine what would be most authentic and most exciting for us. Like me talking to you right now, I didn't know you existed three years ago when I left my job. How would I possibly try to you know, do – to, to say that's a goal of mine. Um, so I want, I want you to talk to – yourself right in that point shit is hitting the fan like things are going out of control you're you know you're, you left the job that you worked your ass off you finally got to this job you, you know put your blood sweat and tears your heart your soul into this thing and um you kind of realize this is not right and the relationship that you had i mean you were engaged right and that ends um what, what do you say to that person? Like, one is, what did you, you kind of learn from that? But even more, what do you know now that if you were coaching yourself back then, um, you would share with yourself during that, like, really turbulent year, specifically addressing the question, like, what will they think of me? What will they think of me? How are you able to deal with, with that question as well?
2: Mm, good questions. This is the number one thing that I would have said to me. I would have said, okay, Christine, Instead of asking, why is this happening to me, ask instead, what am I learning, and why is this happening for me?
1: Mm, there it is. Yeah. Mm, so it's like,
2: as soon as we get out of like the victim consciousness, um, and we, we get out of, like, why is this happening to me? Because when we, when we think, why is this happening to me, we think that we've done something wrong. And it's really mm. hard to shift into a place of inspiration, acceptance. Um, and have vision for anything if we think that we've done something wrong or we think we've effed up in some way, you know. And I Mm -hmm. think that my biggest, um, one of the biggest hurdles I've had to overcome in my life and something that I'm still working on is is just being incredibly hard on myself. Mm -hmm. So I would also have said to myself, be easier on yourself. You're doing the best you can. Again, Mm -hmm. the, the most important relationship we have is the one with ourselves. It's like how can, how can you be easier to yourself while all this is going on and look again for what am I learning? What am I learning? What are the life lessons? And that to me is the game changer. When we move from that, it's happening to me to what am I learning? Because you know, what I know now that I didn't know then that I, I would share is that you know, life really is school, all of it. And, and we learn as human beings through contrast. You know, I know what it's like to have joy because I've known depression, like actual clinical depression. I know what it's like to really create um, in terms of a career rather than compensate in terms of a career, meaning Mm -hmm. now I create from a place of love and service and sharing and creativity versus in the past I was compensating, trying to create success from a place of insecurity. I was looking for something, be it my career or my relationship, to fill me up. So it's just like a different orientation for how we, we choose to go about things and what we use as our motivation.
1: Do you think that the girl who was 18 years old, the girl who was 22, 25, you, at at those ages, do you think she's still inside of you? Does she ever come out at certain points and you catch yourself? Like, oh, shit, that's her again.
2: Um, I You know, not so much anymore because I really have – I feel a sense of great completion with that part of my life, and I've really learned from it. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I think that the part that I still have to watch inside myself is just being hard on myself. You know, I think that a lot of us think we're going to motivate ourselves by being hard on ourselves. You know, and that's the difference between push motivation and pull motivation. It's the difference between away from motivation and toward motivation, meaning like we think we're going to get something done or be better at something, or not procrastinate, or get what we want by being really hard on ourselves, by being really strict with ourselves, by you know pushing ourselves, by moving away from what we don't want. Um, and, and what I teach and what I continue to practice is that I'd rather be motivated by a sense of pulling myself towards the vision. I'd rather motivate through inspiration. I'd rather motivate through acknowledgement and prizing. And I think that that's really important for um, for all of us in terms of you know, really how to, how to talk to ourselves and how to motivate ourselves. And, you know, occasionally we need tough love with ourselves, you know, if we find ourselves in a rut or we're, we're not doing something or we're breaking our word with ourselves or we need accountability. Sometimes we need mm-hmm. the hey, come on, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good what yeah. we're doing, you know. Let's, let's, let's change it up here. But not that you're a loser and I can't, you know, not, not the super negative harshness. So in terms of the, the 18 or 21-year-old girl, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that with age and with a lot of great teachers and a lot of growth work that I've done on myself, you know, I, I thank that part of me. And I have so much compassion for those times in my life, um, but I don't feel like it's, it's currently present in my life.
1: Yeah, and it's incredible you've been able to take those really challenging times and evolve them into something of service, and almost bear those scars as medals. As you know, here, and when you when you're opening up this conversation, when we're talking about it. It's not like, hey, let me try to repress and forget what happened to me back then because that's that was just too tough to look at, or like I'm ashamed that I went through that. But instead, it's you almost open up the floor for inspiring other people to say yeah, this is who I am authentically, vulnerably, see me for me, see my core, and that's all right. And kind of wherever we are right now, not feeling isolated, not feeling like we're the only ones who are going through these challenges, which I know you've probably felt at some point, I know I've felt at some point, and I think almost everybody has felt at some point. And, and it can um, it can be a real barrier for us to To go out and develop connections, authentic connections with other people, because it's what if they find out that thing about me? What if they only knew this thing? What you've done is is incredible, and what I you know strive to do as well is to to take those really fucked up experiences that happen to us at, at, in childhood or in in our life in young adulthood and say, not only can I overcome those, I can use those, I can alchemize those, and and you know use that as fuel to put in my fire to you know, blow up with inspiration. I'm getting out of hand here, but, it, you know, it's incredible.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's all like, I just wrote a blog um, about the word passion. And the actual, the original definition of passion is suffering. That's what the mm. word originally means. Because if you think it's, it was, it was um, referred to the passion of the Christ, right? Suffering of mm. the Christ. So that is where the word comes from. Now, over time as a society, we've evolved it to mean love, something we love, fiery. Like we we see it as a very positive word, correct? So I think that this is really, really interesting and really key for anyone that's looking for their passion or purpose. So just like the word itself has evolved from suffering to love, so many times our purpose evolves from suffering to love. It's often in those moments we've suffered, right, that we learn our life lessons that we actually discover our passion.
1: How can someone go in and say, okay, so I'm listening to this chat, you know, what she's saying is incredible, but I am scared shit of what happened. How do they, how can we start to really embrace that and and start the process of alchemizing or transitioning that to be beneficial to us?
2: So I think the first thing is, you know, looking at like, what are some of the key moments in your life that were game changers for you? Um, because what happens is throughout our life we, we form a story about who we are and the way how life works. So examples of game-changing moments, I mean, for me, it was in fourth grade when the girls started the I Hate Christine Club. Um, for people listening, it could be, you know, if your parents got a divorce or someone told you you were stupid or um, you had an accident or you got a diagnosis of ADD or whatever it may be. Like think of those kind of moments in your life, and, and actually in, my, in one of my books, I think in 20-something manifesto, I, one of the exercises I have people do is do a backward timeline of significant moments in your life and kind of look hmm. at those significant moments in your life and then go, okay, each of those significant moments, what are the major beliefs that I formed? What are the major beliefs I formed, and what are the major misunderstandings I bought into? Right. So um, for example, like if let's say that one of your parents left, Okay, so uh, a belief would be people that I love abandon me, and a misunderstanding mm-hmm. would be, you know, I don't want to love anybody because they might leave, right? Wow. So these, these significant moments form these belief systems and misunderstandings, and then these belief systems and misunderstandings form the story of our life. And when you start to look at your belief systems and misunderstandings in the story, you'll start to see patterns in your life, and you'll start to see mm-hmm. how you've kind of created your life from that story, you know, I had a pattern of, of rejection because I felt rejected by my peers at a very young age, and that continued, you know, throughout my mm-hmm. life in terms of relationships, in terms of jobs I applied for, all those types of things. Because I didn't think. How I do was you
1: cool deal with it. that? How do you deal so, with that? So you figure out here's my reject, you know, is my pattern, boom, rejection. Right. Then what do you do?
2: Okay, so then you are like, oh no, tell me, tell me the solution. Okay, so first of all, just the <laughs> aware, just the awareness of it is going to be huge. Okay? Just the awareness of it is going to be a game changer for anybody listening because you'll start to see that you're more at cause in your life than an effect. And so then you have to go through a process of reframing, of reframing those beliefs, of giving them a new meaning. And this is where the whole everything happens for a reason and what am I learning is incredibly important. Because when we look at those situations in our life with gratitude and with appreciation, and we look at, like, what was this really teaching me? You know, what was this situation really teaching me about myself, about life in, gener- life in general, about other people? And what, how, what did it strengthen inside of me that's actually useful for me today? Because, you know, even though, like using my own life story, for example, um, even though all that was hard, what that's done is made me incredibly resilient I've had to learn how to rely on myself. I've learned independence. I, I don't care so much what people think of me anymore. So doing what I do in kind of a public spotlight, um, having, having the kind of you know, mindset that I don't really care what people think of me is really important
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, because then, yeah. then I
2: can really be authentic and really be real. And, and so reframing those things and seeing how they served you is key. And then the final step, and this is the most important, is forgiveness. Mm. Is forgiving yourself forgiving anyone else forgiving the situation like i have no anger at anyone in my life including my ex-fiance like that was i totally understand why he did what he did it was the biggest gift he could have given me i mean i I have so much gratitude for him and when we can forgive and and forgiveness doesn't mean we condone something doesn't mean that at all it just means we're letting go of the judgment that it was good bad right or wrong we're letting go of the anger and when we can do Mm -hmm. that we really set ourselves free and see, so many times that when I when – because I, I coach a lot of people um, in their 20s and 30s, especially in terms of career, and they just want career advice. They just want the very linear, what are the steps that I should take? And that's valuable, and I'm happy to give that advice. But until people do more of the self-investigation work and understand their patterns, understand their beliefs, understand their story, and are willing to do some reframing and are willing to look for the lessons and are willing to forgive – it's kind of hard to get out of your own way until you do that.
1: Wow. Does that
2: make sense, what I'm saying?
1: It, it does. And, of course, the next question is, well, tell us how to forgive. And as it's coming up, right, my question that I'm thinking is, just based on what you're saying, is, like, is gratitude the antidote to, uh, to or kind of the solution that we need in order to forgive, right? How, how do we go about this process of forgiving?
2: Well, I think I gratitude is a great word, but actually the, in, in, to couple it with forgiveness, I would say really it's more about acceptance um, okay. because like there are things in my life that I've forgiven that I'm not particularly grateful for, you know, in terms of mm. them happening, but I've accepted them, meaning that I'm free from suffering because I'm not judging them as good, bad, right, or wrong. So mm. really forgiveness is about going I forgive myself for any judgments I'm holding against this. I forgive myself for judging any other person. I set myself free by letting go of any anger, any sadness, any resentment that I have about something that happened in the past. Again, it doesn't mean I condone it. You know, I've helped a lot of people through through forgiving things that you would think were unforgivable. Um, but hmm. by holding on to any resentment, any anger, it really does hold hold us back. And I think that what I love so much about Gen Y and about um, young people today is there's such a heartfelt desire to make a meaningful contribution in the world. Like I just Mm. see that over and over and over again. People want to do something that matters. And we're of best service in the world and we're of best service to others and we really have access to what that meaningful contribution is when we sort of clean up the muck that's in our own way. And when we're harboring any resentment or regret or unforgiveness against anything or anyone else or we're a victim in any way of our, in, in our own life, it's really hard to go out and create a meaningful contribution for others.
1: Wow, this is uh, so powerful, and I'm just putting myself back in that position of a couple of years ago and just saying, like, what what would I want to know um, during during this conversation? And I, I, thank you for finally starting to transition into what's going on in this generation because, you know, that was my game plan to start talking about that. And 40 minutes down the line, I'm like, oh, yeah, we should probably get to that at some point. So... To to put it so eloquently and sophisticated, um, what the hell is going on with our generation?
2: (laughs) Okay. Well, so there's a couple things. Now, I've been studying the 20-something experience since 2003, okay? So I'm almost a 10-year veteran on this whole kind of um, (laughs) generation, and I think it's a freaking awesome generation. So first of all, let's just talk about all the stereotypes and the bad rap. But Gen Y. Can we, do you say Gen Y? Do you say Millennials? How do you refer to it, Jacob? What's your You know,
1: it's, it's strange because I don't identify with Gen Y. I don't identify with Millennials. I don't mm-hmm. identify really as being like a young adult. I, I just feel like I'm part of this culture, whether it's an urban culture or um, today's culture, but whatever it is, it, we get it. You're talking to us.
2: Okay, yeah, I'm talking to you guys. So I'll just say this generation. We'll just say that. We won't put a label on it. Sure. I don't really love labels Perfect. anyway. Um, so to me, I feel like um, the consciousness of this generation is off the charts. I feel like um, there's much more of a sense of like this generation realizes that we're all connected in some way. Like there is a sense of oneness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, there's more like of a highly creative um, type of, of thinking. The whole like think out of the box doesn't even make sense to this generation because we've always thought outside the box. Um, mm-hmm. And here's here's kind of what i see as sort of like the negative stereotypes of this generation and i see this a lot especially when i work in corporate america um this generation has been called entitled bad work ethic um can't make decisions jumps around from job to job to job immature those types of things i I don't know if you've heard any of these things but that's sort of like the taint and to me there's reasons for this number one it's a very overparented generation, um, more so than any other. This generation's been really micromanaged by parents and, and and what I'm saying is generalizations. I know it doesn't apply to everybody that's going to be listening, but I'm just sort of yep. painting a picture of like the general, the general synopsis here. Um, so since parents were very overinvolved, there's a term called helicopter parenting. I don't know if you've heard that. I actually call it cockpit parenting because it's more than hovering. It's actually like being in the plane, flying the plane. (laughs) And so what I've noticed among a lot of young people is that um, making decisions is very challenging. In fact, I created a course called the Solo Decision Making Challenge because I saw that there was such a need to teach people how to make decisions on their own. Um, So Uh that's that's one thing that, that is sort of the reason for that. And then... This generation grew up during a time when the economy was great and the job market was good and the whole like, you know, follow your passion and the money will follow was was applicable advice. And the formula of go to high school, go to college, get a job, it worked back then. But everybody's graduating and growing up into a very different job market and a very different economy. So I feel like this generation is left with one big, huge expectation hangover. Like, hey, wait a second. Mm -hmm. This was not supposed to be how it goes and there's a there's a lesser tolerance like i feel like our parents would have stayed in jobs that made them miserable for 20 30 40 yeah. 50 years until they got that retirement plaque and and moved to florida or whatever it is <laughs> and we we don't we don't do that we don't want that we have and, and so that's where kind of the the stereotype of we we jump around from job to job and you know what i think that's fine because if we're going to spend as much time as we as we do at work then we might as well at least like it, and I'm not. I I am where I stand on the whole loving what you do thing. Um, I, I kind of have two opinions on it. The first one is, I believe that we can have passion in our life and purpose in our life and be incredibly fulfilled, and it doesn't have to come through our work. I believe hmm. that there are some people that have jobs that are jobs. They go and they they work with great people and they like them. You know, and it's simple. It's not like, you know, drilling wells in Africa or changing the world in a major way, but every job out there is important. Every job out there is important. And and I don't think you necessarily have to go and build an amazing career in order to feel fulfilled or feel like you're on purpose. I think you can create passion or purpose in our lives. And I also think, though, that when we do feel a call towards something else and we do feel like we have a mission of some kind and we do feel like we want to contribute that this generation just won't settle for being miserable. And I think that's Mm. great. I think this is an incredibly entrepreneurial generation, which I think our country and our economy needs, and I think this is a very socially conscious, and I think that this generation is very committed to personal growth and has a curiosity about things like self-empowerment and spirituality and contribution and collaboration. Um, it's more of a we generation than a me generation, and I think that's really exciting.
1: That's incredible. Thank you for that breakdown. And so now that we know that, now that everyone listening to here is shaking our heads like, yup, 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 yup. Now that we have that, so how do we how do we use that information? Um, and it may help if you want to put it through the framework of um, a coaching client, right? So if you're if you were working with a coaching client, how how would you kind of get them started in figuring out um, what what the hell to do?
2: Well, are we talking about someone who isn't working right now? or Like who, tell me, paint me a picture of who I'm talking to.
1: Sure. You're talking to someone who's in a job that is, society says is successful, so they're making a decent amount of money. You know, they're on a salary basis, and maybe they even like their work somewhat, but they don't like the lifestyle. They don't like being very reactive to um, all the pressures, and, and they don't really know themselves very well. I think that they're still kind of on that on that identity quest, but not even conscious that they're on that identity quest, but trying to figure out who am I and what's true about myself and what's my place in this world. Um, does that work for yeah. you?
2: Sure. So here's the great thing about actually having a job, is that there is like a, like a paycheck coming in. And so for someone in that situation, what I would suggest is before – see, it's so tempting when we're unhappy with something in our life to want to make a lot of external changes. And yeah. what I'm here to say is, make internal changes first, <laughs> because Love then it. the ex- the external changes that you make will be more aligned. They'll be they'll be responsive versus reactive. Does that make sense? Hmm. Reactive choices sense. are like, I don't like what I'm doing. I'm just gonna change it. And then it's like you know, it's like me thinking that going to college in a new state away from everyone I went to high school with was gonna cure my insecurities. No, hmm. my insecurities went with me no matter what zip code I was in. So it's like our problems travel with us as much as we try to change the external situation like, you know, getting a different job or getting into a relationship or whatever it may be. So don't look for what the external shift is. Start by looking inside. Use this time to get on some kind of personal discovery path, whether it's working with a coach, whether it's like being consumed by personal growth books. There's so many out there right now. There's so many good ones. I mean, I, I could recommend like a hundred of them, in ter- and, a, and a lot of them, they'll all say the same thing. Um, I'm partial to mine, so of course. And, and you know, start to, start to ask yourself the questions that probably you never have asked yourself. You know, you've probably asked yourself the question, what do I want to do and how do I want to do it, but you haven't really asked the question, who am I? You know, I talk about the three questions of the 20th triangle, who am I, what do I want, and how do I get it? And the first question to start with is really, who am I? And most people will I, will define that by roles, you know, roles they play in the world, and that's not who you are. You've got to look at what your qualities are, like what makes you tick. And a good way to think about this is to think about something that you absolutely love to do, like that you could lose track of time doing that. When you do it, you're completely present. It can be something as simple as cooking. You know, for me, playing with my nephew, he's two and a half, is something mm. that I just I just love doing. And so the information um, that's helpful when you think about this question is not necessarily what you're doing. So it's not the playing with my nephew part that's important about the answer to my question. It's what are the qualities that come out of me while I'm playing with my nephew. So things Hmm. like creative, present, compassionate, playful, loving, nurturing, all those things, that's who I am. And for me, in order to, to really feel fulfilled and feel a sense of purpose, I need to make sure that I am in those qualities in both my personal relationships and my work. So that's just mm. like one, one example of starting to reorient yourself to, okay, who, who really am I? And, and what are the situations? So that's the essence. The qualities are the essence. And then you can start thinking about, okay, what form can I put that in?
1: Mm-hmm. Look, ask a couple more questions. So you figure, you say, okay, what lights me up? Where do I lose track of time? My nephew, my two-and-a-half-year-old nephew's love mm-hmm. Um And then you, you went from that to um, identifying the different qualities and characteristics yes. that described you at that point. But let's say that yes. you didn't know those. Let's say that you're a little bit stuck and you weren't exactly sure what they were. How, how, would, how would you get those to come out?
2: So I would say to anybody that says that, that feels like they're a little bit stuck, um, that's just fear coming up. Like everyone knows themselves better than they're giving themselves credit for. So it's, it's, hmm. it's totally possible for anyone to answer these questions. You know, you know you better than anyone. So one of the things that I notice is that people give up on themselves way too easily, especially when it comes to kind of personal growth, personal inquiry work. They get lazy. They don't think they know the answer. They, they give up. And so whether it's this question you're answering or whether it's any other question from any other work you're doing, don't give up on yourself. Become so committed and disciplined about finding these answers inside yourself. Don't abandon yourself. Don't leave yourself. Be with yourself. And don't look for anyone else to tell you the answer. You know? So keep asking the question until you find the answer. Again, like this is part of the problem and why I think so many people are craving this roadmap is because... We haven't yet learned how to find the answers inside ourselves, and they're there, mm-hmm. but we have, to be, we have to be committed to continuing to answer them until, continuing to ask the questions until we find those answers, because even if you can come up with one thing, everybody on this call can come up with at least one thing that they love to do, and everybody on this call can at least come up with one word, <laughs> one quality that comes <laughs> forward for them when they're doing that thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, besides, awesome. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know that probably wasn't the answer you were looking for, but I'm just—I just really want to encourage people to like not give up on themselves and to ask themselves these questions, because when we start that internal, you know, I, I talk about living from the inside out. When we when we ask these internal questions, we get a lot more leverage from them. And I know it may sound pokey um, or it may sound nonlinear or it may sound non-productive, but this is one of those things where it's like. I have seen over and over and over again when we truly do the inside work and get really really clear about who we are and what's important to us and what our values are it's so much easier to make choices on the outside level
1: yeah how do we how do we start to um, piece together people who can support us in this process because we I mean we 're starting a journey and the journey is an internal journey just as much as it is an external journey and I think that so much of us are raised so many of us are raised in families or communities and we know that and and maybe the internet kind of spreads more awareness now but still so much of us are kind of set in our in our current communities how do we find people who we can open up with and be vulnerable with and relate to and people that can support us you know on this journey inside
2: mm. Well I think it I think part of it is just being willing to be vulnerable you know because a lot of times people um, will open up to us once we open up to them, so it involves taking some risks with current people in your life, current friends that you think you could be a little more vulnerable with, a little more honest with, and start sharing more authentically about what 's happening in your life. Um, the other thing is you know part of I think what uh, is important is to find you know communities of people that are interested in this kind of this kind of conversation, and in most cities that 's not too hard to find there's there 's different You know, networking groups, there's different, you know, people that are interested in the more spiritual approach can go that way. People that are interested in the more philanthropic approach can go that way. People that are interested in pursuing entrepreneurship can go that way. It's like finding like-minded people, I think, is incredibly important. And I think also finding a mentor of some kind, someone that's a little bit older, someone you're not related to, and it doesn't have to be someone who's necessarily doing what you want to do in terms of a career, but someone who's living a life that you respect you know, in terms of, mm. of how they spend their time, how they communicate, how they show up in the world, and asking someone to be your mentor. I mean, really asking. Like you would ask someone out on a date, you know, really asking, <laughs> hey, like I really respect you. I really value what you do, um, and I'd love, to have a, a, I'd love you to be my mentor. Here's what I think the relationship would look like. I'd love us to have lunch once a quarter and maybe connect by phone once a month. And just be able to email you, you know, every uh, maximum once a week with any kind of aha moment that I had, um, just to feel some kind of support. So, so that's really key, I think. Um, in in when I when people ask me how to find a mentor and how to have a mentoring relationship, it's very important to to set your expectations of what you want your mentor to to do with you. You know, people ask me to mentor them all the time, and. Right now, I, I I've had to say no to people because I have when I say I'm going to mentor someone, I take it on like very seriously. And I actually have mm. someone that I've been mentoring for almost four years now, and um, that relationship is is important to her and to me. And so when you're asking someone for that, be very very clear about what your expectations are. Uh, but I think the main thing is to start to get out of your comfort zone, to start to kind of attend different events and, and be in different communities. Um, with more like-minded people because just hanging out with your friends from college or just hanging out with people from work isn't going to be enough.
1: Yeah, that's that's so powerful. That is so powerful. Yeah, the mentor stuff, and uh, I can just imagine being like, I I can put myself back in my shoes, even in my shoes now, just the the quality and the value of a mentor, um, and the way that you broke it down about setting the expectations and how to go about that, and then, you know, if it doesn't happen the first time, it doesn't happen the first time, but still being persistent, and um, whether it's not that person or another person, such valuable stuff. So, Um, Kind of the final big question that I've been asking people or that I'm excited to ask people during these chats is, what is the number one thing that you know now that you wish you knew as a young adult? Mm.
2: That you have more time than you think you do. Like I was in such Mm. a rush to figure everything out, um, and I didn't really slow down and enjoy, enjoy it. Like, enjoy what I was learning, enjoy the process. It's okay not to know. Um, it's mm. okay to ask a lot of questions. It's okay to try a lot of different things. That 30 is not some, like, you know, <laughs> goal line destination, and when you reach it, you know, you have to know who you're going to marry and know what your job is. And you, it's just, it, you just don't. Um, that, that, like, it's, it's really okay to, like, slow down and ask a lot of questions of yourself and be inquisitive and, like I said, take those risks. And I think, you know, the, kind of the key thing is, and this comes from my own experience and then just working with so many people is, you know, really look at how you treat yourself. Really look at do you keep your word with yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Do you yeah. settle for relationships that um, aren't serving you? Do you ask for what you need? Are you of service in the world in some kind? Are you, are you taking care of your body? Are you being financially smart? Are you educating yourself? You know, we don't have a lot of control in our 20s um, of the outside world. Well, we don't have a lot of control of the outside world in our life, period. But we have some choice over what we put in our bodies, what we think, how we manage our money, and how we respond to things think the biggest freedom that we have is our choice to respond to something. There's what happens and there's how we respond. And in between what happens and our response, there's there's a space. I think Viktor Frankl says, you know, there's stimulus and there's response. And in the space is our freedom. It's our freedom to choose. So no matter what's going on in your life, you have freedom to choose how you want to look at it.
1: Christine, there's a a look on my face that I want to communicate to you that words just won't do justice of gratitude and how honored and grateful I am that you're chatting with us today and so thrilled that we got to connect and um, just develop this connection more. How how can people keep in touch with you? Where can they go to find out more about what you do?
2: Sure. If they go to ChristineHassler.com, that's my website, you can sign up for my newsletters. And then if you notice on the top, there's a tab that says Gen Y. And if you go to that page – and sign up on that page specifically, you'll get my tips for, 20, for 20-somethings, 20 and early 30-somethings. Um, so it's like a separate kind of gift on that page. And I've got a lot of resources, and you can find out about my books and everything there as well.
1: Okay, okay, right on. Cool. Well, again, so grateful we got to connect, and uh, just thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, and thank you for what you're doing. I think this is such a valuable gift to everybody that's listening.
0: Ah, my pleasure. Right on. So, big idea number one, are you living in the win-then mentality, thinking that when you get somewhere, then you'll finally be happy? It doesn't work that way. You don't need to get your sense of identity from what you do and where you work. You can get your sense of identity from taking the time to slow down and study yourself, figuring out what really matters to you in life. Big idea number two, allow yourself to create life one step at a time without trying to apply some golden formula that past generations have clung to. You know, back in the day, our parents set their career in stone, got married, bought a house and had children, and that was the beginning of adulthood. But for our generation, we get to explore things, fail and take risks. We've got no mortgages and no huge responsibilities. So let's stop thinking that we need to have it figured out by a certain age. Instead, think about what your major life lessons have been and how you can contribute. Allow yourself the freedom to make mistakes and be vulnerable. Big idea number three is, we all want to make a meaningful contribution to the world in some way. But it's really hard to do that unless you've cleaned up your own mess in life. It's so tempting when we're unhappy in our life to make a lot of external changes, but we've got to make internal changes first because then the external changes that we do make will be in alignment with who we are. And until we do that self-investigation work and are willing to understand our beliefs, our patterns, and our actions, and are willing to do some reframing, look for the lessons, and are willing to forgive, it's pretty freaking hard to get out of our own way. So here's how you can get started with this now. Do a backwards timeline for all the significant moments in your life. Then, identify the beliefs that you formed as a result of those events. In other words, we want to become aware of the stories that we created about who we are and how the world works. The second step is reframing those beliefs. Now, this is where you give them a new meaning. Instead of asking, Why did this happen to me? ask yourself, how is this happening for me? What is life teaching me? How can I find gratitude and happiness in what happened? Life is school. We learn through contrast. We learn joy through misery. We learn lightness from darkness. The next step is forgiveness. Forgive yourself and forgive the other people. Forgiveness doesn't mean it was right or wrong. It just means you're letting go. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other in living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of the 12 things happy people do differently. It's a scientific based approach to happiness and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook And there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple? And it is. Thankyoujacob.com. And uh, grab that immediately. And I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart. But bring your head. Peace.